0: What up, family? It's time for Passing Period and All the Above Podcast Extra. This is Manuel Rustin, a.k.a. your favorite teacher's favorite teacher. And Passing Period is a All the Above Extra that we throw out there just for the podcast listeners. Of course, All of the Above is primarily a video show. We have a YouTube channel where all of our full episodes and episode extras are are, are housed. But uh, we know some of y'all prefer the audio part of it. And um, you listen to us uh, consistently, and we very much appreciate that support. So just for y'all, just for the audio listeners, we have these passing periods that we drop in between full episodes, and um, we use this as a time to look at stories that maybe um, didn't make it into our most recent full episode. And Jeff, what's the story for today? Well, Manuel,
1: it's a, it's a fascinating um, fascinating set of data coming out of the Kaiser... Family Foundation. Now we we discovered this through some uh, good reporting from Caitlin Owens out of Axios. So shout out to Caitlin. And uh, there's there's just a really interesting data set they've gathered with this national survey of parents and their attitudes about um, whether we should reopen school or not. And it turns out that Americans are very divided by race and by political party on the question of whether schools should open either sooner or later. Um, this, the poll surveyed uh, about 1,300 U.S. adults uh, between the dates of July 14th and July 19th. So this is you know, very recent data. Um, and uh, you know, the reality is I think for a lot of folks and in the kind of popular discourse in this country, we hear the argument that you know, staying home is, uh, you know, is, is harder, right? Like closing physical school, having remote instruction is harder on children of color um, for a whole host of reasons, right? They may not have good access to internet. They may not have enough working devices to meet the needs of the, of the whole family. Um, oftentimes their parents are the parents who are considered quote unquote essential workers, right? Which really means like the most low paid and exploited workers in our economy. Um, and, uh, and so there's lots of kind of assumption, I I feel like, that has been made about, well, of course, opening school is what uh, communities of color are pushing for right now. And this data from the Kaiser uh, Family Foundation is really interesting because it shows something very different. It shows that very strong majorities, uh, according to this data set, 76% uh, of parents of color preferred opening school later Rather than sooner, and just 23% said sooner rather than later. So, uh, man, well, this is this is fascinating stuff, man. I'm I'm really curious to get your take on this.
0: Yeah, it's it makes me think about the last episode where um, for the do now we were doing a roll call, and um, one of the stories was about the racial disparities in distance learning engagement in LAUSD, and our roll call was like the black and brown kids, and we kind of joked about how like everything um, comes down to race in, in, in a lot of ways when it comes to disparities in our education system. And it's funny cause we had a, a comment on our YouTube channel. And of course, YouTube comments are, um, very well rational and well thought out, I'm sure. And, uh, somebody commented, um, uh, black and brown kids, that's racist. Try just kids. And, you know, they kind of missed the point that the story was specifically about how black and brown kids were disproportionately, um, not engaging with distance learning as much um, as a result of the fact that so many were essential workers and and uh, limited access to devices and this and that. And here's another story where I'm sure folks out there are like, why you always got to make it about race? But I mean, you know, race is such a race and racism is so, so ingrained in in. Everything about our American existence that um, you can't not look at it in terms of racial disparities. In this case, like just the fact that 76% of parents of color, who more likely are essential workers and more likely need that, you know, when folks talk about like, oh, schools need to reopen because you know parents got to work and and you know where the kids going to be at. Well, we know that more people of color, predominantly, are, are essential workers who who have to go out there and work in this pandemic. So you would think, I guess, that like you know, like you said, that maybe they would be the ones who would say schools need to reopen. But in this case, it's like, nah, actually, no, because, well, a lot of reasons. One reason being that COVID-19 is disproportionately affecting um, black and brown communities when you when you look at mortality rates and, and um, um, folks testing positive. And it's just uh, it's clear that even though the narrative is schools need to reopen because who's going to watch the kids, families need that support. The families who perhaps most need that support are saying, no, I don't want to send my kid there because it's just not safe. And we don't want our kids exposed to this. We don't want our kids getting sick. We don't want our kids bringing that back home. And families that a mainstream society might assume don't have the means to figure out daycare and this and that are, are finding ways. I mean, between community networks, between family networks, I mean, folks are finding that support. And that's one thing I found with my students last spring was that you know a lot of my students who are, are high schoolers were babysitters for not just their younger siblings, but their um, cousins and, and other folks from the family because these extended family units were uh, utilizing the resources that they had to take care of each other. And a lot of folks just assume that families of color aren't going to find a way and don't have a way to, to take care of their own when it comes to um, you know schools being closed. It's like, actually, you got to switch that deficit mindset because uh, communities of color are super resourceful and if it's not safe to send your kids to school, we ain't sending our kids to school. We don't care what the, you know, particulars are about reopening the economy and and job and this and that whatever. Like we'll figure it out, but we're not sending our kids off to to face possible um death because of this political pressure to just like get back in school. So, yeah, I don't know. What do you think about it, Jeff?
1: Yeah, I I mean that all certainly resonates. I think it is, it's also really interesting because I look at this data set and I see, <laughs> I see lines that go along the kind of like, are you a member of a community that tends to be rooted in reality, like reality, that facts and science, or are you, uh, you know, a member of a community that is deeply rooted in like this mythology and, and, and like death cult. Uh, <laughs> frankly, right? How you um, really feel, Jeff? Uh, How you really feel? Re- rest in peace, Herman Kane, Okay. Man. So uh, so, so the other big kind of demographic split uh, that, that was shown in the data set, right, was along political party affiliation. And we saw massive differences, right? So Democrats, 87% favored opening school later, only 10% opening schools sooner. Independents, 59% open schools later, only 35% open schools sooner, right? So massive landslide majorities of Democrats and Independents saying, hey, let's open schools later, no rush to death, right? Republicans, 36% open schools later, compared to 60% saying open schools sooner, right? Now, of course, there are huge racial correlations, particularly between Republicans and white people, and Democrats and people of color. Uh, you know that that are just real um, in today's day and age. I'm I'm not sure what this independent category, uh, what the racial makeup of it is, but just looking at the Democrats and the Republican data there alone, I think is enough to to just shed some really interesting light, man, on like, how do people get their information? What do people, what is the relationship between people's thinking and like the knowledge that we get from public health scientists about about a pandemic, right? Um, and, and I think it's fascinating to see that like, there are, to me, it's not a coincidence that we see the vast majority of parents of color saying, mm, Slow down. The data's bad and I don't want to send my kid into that. And if it means I need to struggle to figure out some stuff, I will do that because I don't want to send my kid and therefore bring myself and my elders in our family into the direct path of harm's way versus, uh, you know, versus particularly a conservative white base that is just like following the word of dear leader, right? Um, Right. And so it is... It's scary, man. It is scary that we have a set of people that I think are, are so dismissive of uh, of some basic facts and willing to push that on other people and other people's children in, in some pretty presumptuous ways.
0: Yeah. And for no reason. That's the thing that, you know, I was talking to a buddy about this, like the politicizing of the pandemic is just happening for no reason. I mean, because I guess theoretically... The idea is reopen the economy so that those economic numbers are strong, so that, you know, the president could be reelected and this and that. But honestly, this is one of those situations where if we would have fully shut down like so many other countries around the world and the economy, you know, took the hit. I don't think anybody Well, I mean, obviously, somebody would. But just generally speaking, it wouldn't be looked at uh, as a, a negative mark on the president himself because the economies around the world were tanking. And, you know, global pandemic, I think, would be separate from um, the politicizing of, of what's going on with the economy uh, in that particular case. So for me, it's like for no reason, like you could have just shut everything down. You didn't have to politicize this. But in any case, um, I don't remember who said it because I've been part of a lot of really dope webinars lately. And I've, you know, obviously seen uh, Dr. Bettina Love speak in uh, Goldie Muhammad and, and Edge of Color had a really dope summit uh, a few days ago. So I don't remember who said it. So I'm, I'm really, really sorry that I can't give this person credit. But somebody said that America is is about this life, liberty, and justice thing, and for communities of color, particularly black communities, we're still fighting for, like, the life part of it. We're still trying to to fight for our lives mattering, and when it comes to COVID-19 and the rush to put kids back in the schoolhouses, it's like, no, like, hold up. This is life and death for so many um so many members of our community and we're not just going to rush them back into school because like, you know, whatever we need, uh, you know, kids need their education. This, that, whatever kids need to be alive first, like life first. And then we'll work on, um, the other aspects of it. And I know distance learning isn't ideal, but damn, like death is like the least ideal solution to, uh, educating kids in 2020. Right. So, um, I was fortunate to be part of, um, a show on Al Jazeera um, called The Stream. So I think that was about a week ago. And the episode topic was reopening schools. And um, I got to be on the same screen as Julia Torres, which was like a moment for me because that's, that's, you know, super dope, super dope educator. And one topic that came up in that conversation was the fact that a lot of kids are being harmed by not being at school. So um, you know, school being a place where a lot of kids get their food, a school being a place where um, a lot of signs of, of child abuse are, are picked up and noticed. And that is true. And obviously, kids need to socialize as well. So I bet the mental health toll of this all is very heavy on kids, especially yeah, huge. kids who are like home without like other folks their age and who are just like really, really um, in need of that socialization. However, the narrative so often is that, like, you know, kids, especially in struggling communities, they're home in these abusive households or these malnourished households, and it's all bad. And that's such a deficit way of, of looking, a negative way of looking at our communities. The fact is, like Siobhan Taylor said on our 50th episode a couple episodes back, um, for a lot of families, distance learning actually has been better. Like, for a lot of kids, especially kids who... See school and who experience school as a oppressive, abusive place where they're policed for their tone, policed for how they dress, policed for how they, sp- uh, how they speak and all that. For a lot of kids, like being home with the family, with the siblings, with the whoever who's in the household, and being able to do your schoolwork without, um, you know, security getting on you, without a teacher getting on you. um, For a lot of kids, that actually is better. So for everyone who's saying kids need to get back to school because of the harm that's being done at home, just remember the opposite. For a lot of kids, the harm is done at school. The trauma is happening at school. So to me, that that argument is just a a non-starter. I think we got to look at it specifically from a place of this is a pandemic and the cases are rising. There are tremendous hotspots and there's no reason to rush kids back into a building where so many schools, you know, we're going to talk about this on our next episode about um, um, schools violating the American with, Americans with Disabilities Act. So many schools are so old in their infrastructure and their physical construct that a lot of them don't have the ventilation. Like what am I as a teacher supposed to be in a room full of kids and you know, heater doesn't work, AC doesn't work, whatever, and we are now seemingly realizing that COVID is perhaps more of an airborne thing than it is um, whatever they thought it was at first when they're talking about um, sanitizing services and all that stuff. It's just, um, I, it's just, I'm not surprised that so many parents of color are like, hell nah, we could wait. I know it's tough. I I want my kid in school, but we could wait. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And, and I, you know, I look at this data, Manuel, and I think, um, it's very clear to me that the the rhetoric, right They're like, oh we have to open schools because what about the poor children and their you know um, the lost learning among the, the masses of black and brown youth of America? It's very clear to me that though that argument from the majority of folks who are making it in, Circles of power in this country is totally disingenuous. Yep. And we talked about this last time, actually. One, because they ain't never said a word about the lost learning of all those same children until yep. you know parents couldn't go to work, right? And and what they're not talking about right now speaks even louder than what they are talking about. So they're not talking about, hey, Mitch McConnell, we gotta have tens of billions of dollars immediately. And we need to nationalize some factories in Ohio or whatever and put people to work making masks and face shields and and um, hand sanitizer and cleaning supplies and materials. And we got to hire a thousand new Um, you know, plant manager staff and every, you know, in in LA and and 100,000 times that across the country or whatever, right? Like we need a jobs program to put people to work to make schools safe, right? They're not saying that. They're not even hinting at that. They're just saying, go back, it's not that bad, 50,000 people a year die from the flu, so get over it, right? And, and they're saying it knowing that the people who are most likely to die from this are black and brown folks and poor
0: folks Big facts.
1: in general, right? And so to me that the combination of those two things, you never cared before and you're not saying anything about what would be needed to actually Try to create a safe environment now. Tells me you your callous indifference has reached the point of not even caring at all about the lives of kids and educators and the community, so long as the profit machine keeps turning, right? And I know that sounds kind of like cold and and um, like a blanket statement, but I'm I, I there is no hyperbole from me in <laughs> in that statement. That's what I see going on here right now. And, um, you know, of course it's a, it's a nuanced discussion, right? And there really are those arguments about, man, my kid's been at home for five months and like, I see my kid struggling because they don't have access to the type of support structure that school provides, which is real, which is why so many people like school, (laughs) right? Um, so I get it. And I, you know, I don't mean to suggest like, you know, there, there isn't another side to the, to the discussion, but, um, You know, all you got to do is look at the curve, Uh, you know, here in California, Texas, Florida, Arizona, you know, most parts of the country, with the exception of a few spots, you know, here and there where where they either just haven't been hit yet or they're coming out of the like massive, you know, hit that they had earlier in the late spring and early summer. Right. Um, We are not in a position. to to be taking any risks, right? And people are missing the fact that like, the fact that schools are closed, right? That uh, is why the curve looks as good as it does right now in California and Texas and Florida, right? Uh, And- This has all
0: been happening while kids were mostly kept at home.
1: Right, right. And not doing sports and all that kind of stuff, right? So, and their parents therefore not Traveling around with them, right? So, and we're just we're inching up on cold and flu season here, right? Yeah. Um, and and it's gonna it's gonna hit us like a train. I fear, man, because we, you know, unfortunately, just are not in a in in sort of a reasonable mindset here about like what is important, right? Um, so, I, you know, this is just interesting data, man. I I I think it's it's one of the more intriguing looks at uh, like kind of lifting up the hood behind the national discourse that we've seen. And I'm really appreciative they they put this out because, you know, as you said, we've had like, you know, districts like Los Angeles did a survey of parents. And of course, you know, sort of by definition within the district, that survey is overwhelmingly uh, of families of color, right? right? But to see a national survey um, disaggregated in this way is, uh, is interesting.
0: Yeah. And, you know, one thing that, Gives me a lot of, I mean, just more concern that I already have is like a few weeks ago, my wife had to go in to uh, visit one of her stores and three employees all got sick at the same time, including her. And one of them tested positive. So my wife got tested through Kaiser. Speaking of Kaiser, I mean, this this uh, survey data comes from Kaiser Family Foundation and she got her results, negative, thankfully, Um, but she was super, super sick, like she was laid out. There was a day where she did not even get out of bed, and I kept like forcing her awake to see if I needed to like take her in because she was really, really sick, so it came back negative, thankfully, and she's feeling fine now, but my point is, it took not three days, not four days, not five days to get the results, not six days, not 10 days. She did not get her negative results from that test for 15 days. Mm. from the date that she actually took the test which totally renders the test like moot because i mean i guess what what quarantine period is 14 days or whatever so even if she had it by the time she got the results, like you know it ran its course but my point is like if she got tested through kaiser and it took 15 days here in la for her to get her results um you know the numbers that we do see i don't know how much to put into those numbers because in my head i'm like well for If her number, if her result would have been positive, like those numbers already would have been different 15 days ago from whatever. So in any case, so there's that. And then just, um, just again, man, there's a lot of teachers right now, a lot of educators who are listening to this, who, who might still not know if they are due to report in person or not. And those are, so I'm thankful my district made the decision to go online only. Probably uh, most folks who are listening who are in California are going to start off uh, online only. But if you're listening to this and you're starting off in person or, or that's still a possibility, man, all I can say is, um, man, it's just like I think as educators, this is one of the hardest periods in education that I myself have experienced as a teacher Um, You know, certain themes in education have been a challenge my whole career, obviously. Um, You know, seeing how uh, particularly black students are treated and and seeing uh, how racist how the curriculum is. So it's been hard the whole time. But in terms of like specific challenge that came out of nowhere that I definitely didn't think I'd ever have to deal with as a teacher, like this has been the hardest, hardest uh, part of my career in that sense. And um, I said it online the other day, like, it's just like, we got to take care of ourselves, man, take care of your mentals, because this is something that, you know, I just feel like teachers are not getting the support they need. And a lot of teachers fall into this category of folks who are also deciding what to do with their kids. So, you know, when we're talking about sending kids back to the schoolhouse and reporting back to school, for a lot of teachers, it's both. And this is just such a hard time in education, And all I can say is just make sure you take care of yourself, whatever that self care means to you. Um, And also just this is the time to not really put too much weight and burden on on your own, like lack of preparedness for the school year, because I don't think any of us could. Blame ourselves necessarily for not feeling fully prepared for the school year. I didn't find out till what a week or two ago that we would definitely be fully online, and I still don't know what our our daily schedule looks like like that at the time of this recording. That hasn't come out yet. Um, It's possible that we're doing ten week uh, semesters. It's possible that we're doing the full um, eighteen to twenty week semesters. Like I still don't know. And school starts in sixteen days from now, so it's just um, man. Take care of your mentals. That's all I could say.
1: Yeah, man, I gotta, I gotta give you props for that, uh, that tweet earlier this week, man. The, the Marshawn Lynch, take care of y'all mentals <laughs> is, uh, first of all, it's just legendary because shout out to Marshawn Lynch, and uh, second of all, very apt in this moment because we are all under, uh, as educators, I mean, under, I think just a tremendous, tremendous amount of stress, man. I, I have some insight into like the district level, and the folks, you know, this just yesterday, this uh, past Friday, July 31st, um, Los Angeles Unified put out like a bunch of really big, important documents, right, to kind of provide guidance for schools about um, what distance learning needs to look like this fall. They're close to finishing the negotiations with the union, and I, I've had enough insight to know that there's a lot of smart people working really, really hard, man. and. Um, you know, on all sides, like trying to figure out how to make this stuff work and teachers like yourself, right? Like dealing with such ambiguity and the prospect of restarting school with no real contact, like being a ninth grade teacher right now with a whole class of kids you've never physically met and you got to do it via zoom or whatever, right? Like just the challenge of that. Um, you know, and then principals, right, have been just under it, man, just trying to figure out, okay, we're going to do hybrid. No, we're going to do distance learning. Not, you know, which of my teachers are high risk and can report or won't report? Or will we be able to get subs? Who's buying all the PPE? Governor Newsom said he's got all this PPE, but where is it? Right. <laughs> right? So, um, you know, it's just the stress is off the chain, man. And yeah. Uh, you know, in the in the infamous words of Marshawn Lynch, <laughs> "Take care of all
0: mentals." <laughs> absolutely. Now more than ever, absolutely, um, folks. We want to give a big shout out to everybody who has contributed to the reviews on Apple Podcasts. I think it was um, an episode or two ago. We said if you. Write us a quick review and uh, send us a screenshot. We'll send you back uh, all of the above sticker for your laptop or your notebook or or whatever. And uh, a lot of folks have done that. So shout out to all of y'all. We're um, still sending out stickers. So if you are listening to this, if you've enjoyed what you've what you've heard, then um, do consider writing us a quick review in Apple Podcasts and uh, send us a screenshot and we'll send you a sticker. Um, so yeah, that's uh, all above show at gmail.com or DM us on um on Twitter or, or Facebook. Jeff, you've been checking the Facebook messages, I assume? I check it. Yep. it's okay, uh, so We sure, are at AOTA
1: on Show on Facebook, at AOTA Show. Facebook and Twitter. Hit us in the DMs. Slide in there. Let us know.
0: <laughs> yes, but only with... Um Screenshot of the... Professional slide. Yes, professional (laughs) slide. (laughs) For sure. So uh, shout out all the uh, folks who've been supporting the show big time. And uh, I also want to give a shout out to the uh, good folks at EduColor for putting on a really dope um, conference or virtual summit a few days ago. And and all the folks out there who are finding ways to maintain community in this uh, pandemic experience. Shout out to all of y'all. And of course, we'll be back in about a week with a full episode which will contain um headlines in education and a deep dive seminar with the super super dope Dr. Bettina Shea and um she'll be helping us explore Asian American identity in education and the fight for justice and solidarity between Asian American folks and black folks and all kinds of stuff man it's so so dope that'll be coming your way in about a week all right so um That's about it for today's passing period, so go on ahead and get to class.